0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, a repeat guest all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to the show, Alicia Jarrett.
1: Thank you, Victor. Good to be back and speaking with you and your listeners.
0: Great to have you here. One of the things that we talked about before offline is how, despite the current pandemic and lockdown situation that we're in, Like you, and like myself, you love to travel and run your business from any corner of the world, doesn't matter where you might be. You've designed your business and set it up so that you can run it remote. I'd love to dive into that in a bit more detail and see what kind of systems and processes, how you've architected your life to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we we both spoke last time offline how much we're missing the travel component in our lives. And what's interesting, Victor, is this time last year, we were due to move from Australia to the States and run our business in the States. And obviously the, the pandemic hit and we ended up back here in Australia. But what has been really interesting out of that is our mindset has shifted even more to the fact that you can run businesses from anywhere in the world. I'm really looking at how we pivot in times of not just a pandemic, but just in times of change and use technology and things to make sure that we can really run our business in a way that is not only efficient and effective, but very adaptable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So what have been some of the challenges as you've been maybe traveling in Europe or wherever that you've been trying to run your business? You've got staff at home, you've got staff in the U.S., you're now operating across multiple time zones, which of course you are today just operating from home. Yeah. How do you do that when you don't have continuous internet service and all of those other challenges that come up on top of that?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So first of all, we don't actually look at them as challenges because at the end of the day, they're actually really not. So if you look at any business, you know anybody is at some point during the day is going to be offline for family reasons, appointments, meetings, et cetera. And really, the whole concept of being online versus offline, you know, when we have internet service, when we don't, it's really just about managing expectations. So, what we've gotten very good at in our team is making sure that we tell people up front, hey, we're actually in a different time zone to you, so we'll get back to you on this date and this time, as opposed to I'll call you back in an hour. So, I think when you can manage expectations up front with buyers, with sellers, with our team, with anybody basically they're all pretty understanding. And to some degree, they're actually more forgiving when you say that, because if I can say to someone, you know, I'll get back to you in a few days because it's about to be our weekend here and we've got some things that we need to do and and we'll be offline because we're traveling, whatever it is, a lot of the times people are just like, okay, no problems. But when we don't tell them and their expectation is that you'll get back to me tomorrow and I don't, that's when we start to run into more of those challenges and problems because when expectations aren't met, people will automatically assume the worst. The number one rule for us has always been managing expectations with everybody that we work with around when we're available, when we're not available, and when we'll actually get back to people as well. The other challenge around time zone and internet access has really just been how we set up our systems and processes, Victor, to be able to monitor things and work from this, our mobile phone. So we looked early on into our business around what is an appropriate CRM, so customer relationship management system, that our team can access, some of our extended team can access. So for example, people that might be virtual assistants in other businesses can work on tasks within our CRM, but also that we can see activity and what's going on in our business from anywhere. So really thinking through what we needed that to look like to support the way that we wanted to work and not just necessarily buying an off-the-shelf system to do that, but to really look at a system that we could customise to work in the way that suits us. And that's been a big investment for us, not only with time and finances, but also just in really considering the business structure and how we implement those systems to support us. So I think those two things: managing expectations and good systems and processes, has been the biggest thing that we've focused on to overcome any challenges that might be present.
0: I think when you use the word system, some people listening to this might be thinking, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to write a check, I'm going to buy a piece of software. But I don't think you're talking about that. I think what you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, is how the processes work within your business. So, for correct. example, when does one of your staff members take something to completion or when do they need to escalate because they've run into a roadblock or they yeah. run into an issue?
1: Yep, you're exactly right. Vic. Just so one of it is, not necessarily ride a trek and go and buy an off-the-shelf system. So we did go and buy a system that we use and it's called Freshworks and it's fantastic. But we wanted to look at a system that we could customize for task management. So exactly as you said, you can have the world's best system, but unless you really think through how do I want this system to work for me, to work for my team, to work in a way that gets us outcomes... So when we implemented our CRM, so Freshworks CRM, we actually then looked at things like what's our service level agreement? People will hear this and go, well, service level agreement, what do you mean? So when you're in big business, you have an SLA and an SLA will be if a customer calls, we're responding back to that call within, say, 12 hours. If a buyer calls, for example, we're responding back to that within two hours. Now, obviously, that's within business hours. And then our team that works for us in our land business specifically, our marketing business is separate, but in our land business, we have four full-time customer service people that work with us. They're based in the Philippines. They work US hours, so they're up at all times of the night and day. But making sure that our system, when we're asleep, dictates how they should be working and responding to customers and being able to report on that so that we can one- hold them accountable because it's about how we measure performance. But two, we've always then got something in play that they know what to do when we're not available. And on a daily basis, I meet with my team and I can do that via my phone. I can check all of the tasks, all of the different things that they're working on, things that have been escalated to me. And I can literally move that task, give them an answer, give them direction, and they can go away and do it all within the same system. So making sure that you can set things up to work while you're asleep is also a good way to think about it.
0: If I think about almost any business, the limiting factor on management's attention, it's always about managing exceptions. The success case path is routine. That can be delegated. You can train people. It's when an exception pops up that falls outside that norm. And in my experience, 80% of senior management's attention is spent managing exceptions. How have you dealt with that? How have you pushed down the responsibility to handle even the simplest of exceptions so that not every single decision bubbles up to the top of the house?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think early on that was probably one of our challenges, but that also comes back down to building confidence in our team. So with our our four team members, we've invested a lot of time and energy on really training them up to build confidence in how to make decisions on our behalf. And ensuring that there's a real trusting relationship there so that they know that if they make a decision within certain parameters, that we've got their back on the decisions that they've made. So the exceptions that come to us on a daily basis when I have a a meeting with my team members, the exceptions are far and few between now. And we've got it to the point that the confidence in the team, their knowledge, skills and abilities to make the right decisions, knowing how we operate, and therefore the exceptions that come to me are only a few. It's a really great question that you ask, and I think that only shifts over time because early on in a business, you're also trying to find your feet as the business owner around what decision do I want to make here? You know, do I want to increase this price or decrease this price or negotiate within certain parameters? And I think if you can give the team the experience and the knowledge of how you're thinking throughout that, and impart that onto them, then we start to really change the ownership of those decisions. Now, on a daily basis, what I now find is rather than coming to me with a whole bunch of problems, my team's coming to me, not just with solutions, but a lot of the times they're now coming to me and saying, hey, I did this, is that okay? Like, yep, that's absolutely fine, go for it. So that's really uh, pulled back the reliance on my time to jump into a lot of the the solution mode things and, and those exceptions. And also being able to give them that within the system. So a lot of the times, let's just say they're negotiating with a seller in our system and I've run the numbers. And I'll say, you can negotiate between offer one and offer two, but because of this particular property and where it is and, and the attributes of it, I'm giving you the license to go above by 20%. So feel free to negotiate anywhere within here. And if our seller says yes to anything within those parameters, get the contract out, get it signed, get it sent back, then we'll, we'll move to the next phase. So a lot of the times I end up with contracts back in my inbox and I haven't even touched the property because I've given the team really good parameters to work within.
0: When you have remote staff and they're not physically in your office, you might video conference with them, but in the early days, we were just talking to them over Skype. How did you build the right company culture with those folks so that they really felt that they were part of your organization and not just part of a job shop based in the Philippines?
1: Our team in the Philippines, they've all now been with us for over two years and they are wonderful and they work well together. So two things that have been pivotal in creating that culture. One is lots of training and lots of development. So it doesn't just stop at training on tasks and in the job. We allocate about 10 to 20% of their time on a weekly basis to learning about the industry that we work in, so real estate. So I'm forever finding things to ignite their thinking on stuff and and prompting them to ask questions and be inquisitive and to have a learning culture. So we've created that culture by allocating part of their time to learning. And that's just, as I said, not just about learning how to do things, but learning about I invested in a, a sales course for them that they could all do online. And we use that as an opportunity to all think about how we approach sellers and buyers and what are the conversations that we have and how to get into the psychology of sellers and buyers. I have downloaded some specific YouTube channels on some real estate gurus out there and uh, and said to the team, you know, I want you to spend some time looking at what these people do and how they do it. And then coming back to me with your top three things to say, what can we implement in our business? And then give them ownership of implementing that. So the, the second thing, so outside of creating a learning culture, the second thing is giving them the mindset and creating the mindset in them that this business is their business. So we have quite a generous bonus structure to incentivize them to want to do good in our business. But outside of that being, you know, incentivized with, with money, because that, that's an incentive for everybody, right? We all want to make money in this world to be able to live the life that we want. But also coming at that through the mindset of if this was your business, what would you do? And the culture that I've created around that is for them to own their decisions and own their outcomes, but equally own their work. Uh, and if, if you can create that kind of culture where they know that not only am I treating my, my work as if it's my own business, so coming at that mindset, but if I do really good, I'm going to get rewarded for it as well. Um, and uh, And that's the types of things that we've really looked at. So we, we treat our team like their family and, um, and we know them all very, very well. We, we know what's going on in their lives and and not just treating them as a team member who's a virtual assistant. So we don't even like to call them VAs. They're, they're customer service specialists, they're team members. And the other thing that we also have created in our system, Victor, is more of a backup approach. And what I mean by that is specific tasks in our CRM, one person will be accountable for that task but another person will be a collaborator with them on it to either back them up on that task or work with them on it as well. So we've created a culture that one can't perform without the other. So even though there's a team of four, they chat offline, they catch two of them who live in the same area have now become great friends and catch up together. And so we've created this workflow and culture where one can't work without the other. So not coming at it from you're all a team of individuals, but you're actually a team that has to work together to get things done.
0: I love that. How do you foster that sense of belonging? And I know it sounds like a maybe even a silly question, <laughs> but it's something I think that has to happen consciously. It doesn't happen by accident.
1: No, no, you're exactly right. A lot of the times when we're in team meetings or if they escalate things to me, rather than always just giving the solution, sometimes I'll just stop and say, okay, what do you think the right course of action here is? If you were to make this decision, what would it be? And nine times out of 10, Victor, just due to the amount of training that we've done, they'll come back with a response. I'm like, yep, that's the right response. Go for it. So giving them a sense of ownership with the decisions that they make and also not always defaulting to rescuing. I think sometimes in a lot of business cultures, we jump into rescue. The metaphor I like to use there is we throw out the life raft, or we're on a boat and the boat's sinking, and we we get the the big nice round tube that's uh, hanging on the side of the boat, and we throw it out to people so that they don't sink, but they can swim. And I think sometimes when we do that, when we rescue people, we're actually robbing them of the opportunity of learning and of owning a decision. I've tried where possible to not rescue, and that really comes back to my background in leadership training and consulting before we went into our own business was teaching other businesses how to create these cultures. So not rescuing and giving them the opportunity to come up with solutions themselves. Now, here's where that gets tricky because there's a lot of people that I know that have virtual assistants and customer service specialists that are in different countries. But unfortunately, Victor, I see too many people treating them as that and not as a true team member that they can trust back decisions on and create that culture. So it does require not just a mindset shift in the customer service team itself, but more importantly, it requires a mindset shift in the business owner to really back their team and create an environment where they can be trusting of decisions as
0: well. How do you know at what point you have more training to do versus you've got a mishire and you need to move someone out of the organization?
1: That's a great question. And with our team of four, the the four that we've got now is instead have been with us for quite some time all together. But prior to that, we had two people that we had to let go of. And really that came down to two things. One was the training and the implementation of the training. So whenever we do training, we don't just do the training and expect it to miraculously take shape. It's do the training. Now show me that you know what you're doing through things like you know, testing, reporting, them being able to speak back on what they've learned and how they're implementing it and really getting a barometer on how much they've taken up of that training. And here's the thing, particularly when you're doing things like online training, the statistics of how much people take in and implement, most people only kind of suck up about 25% of what they learn and do something with it. The other 75% just kind of gets lost in the the quagmire of know what we're trying to learn and what we're trying to implement so getting them to repeat a lot of the learning as well so it's not just doing it once and expecting miracles to happen it might be let's review that module two or three times together the other thing I also get them to do and coming back to staff members and and retention here is whenever we do a piece of training what goes along with that is I get them to also document a process that goes with that training And that has actually become part of our suite of processes of how we not only onboard and train people, but how we make decisions in the business too. So let's just say they were doing some training on how to run comps and analysis on property data. In conjunction with doing that training, let's now write out a step-by-step process of how you would do that task. And then I use the creation of that process to assess, have they got it? Did they really understand it? And is there a chance for me to jump in and help them adjust that process so that it suits our purpose? So not only have they had a role in creating processes and systems, but then they feel like they own it a little bit more as well. The second part of that is when it comes time to let someone go. We don't let people go easily. We give them quite a lot of opportunity to learn, implement, get feedback, and then rinse and repeat those three things. Learn, implement, get feedback. Learn, implement, get feedback. And it kind of comes back to the background I have around performance management, and that is if somebody's not performing, we then jump in a little bit closer and uh, I don't like to use the term micromanage because it's not that, but we jump in and kind of walk alongside them a little bit more to really look at what they're doing, how they're doing it, and do they comprehend it. And if it gets to the stage where you just go, look, you're not the right fit and two people we've had to let go because... One person absolutely loved being on the phone and they were awesome at being on the phone with our buyers and sellers, but they didn't have the attention to detail around note taking in our system, dotting the I's and crossing the T's when it came to moving tasks and doing all the things that need to be done to have the system running smoothly. It wasn't that they were a bad person or anything. It was just like, we need you to not only be good on the phone, but you need to have the mindset of efficiency, attention to detail, and wanting to do things right by the system and if that's not how you want to work you're not the right fit for us and that's okay
0: (laughs) oftentimes when you go through a professional growth curve you see people go from just like from childhood to adulthood they go from being dependent to independent and then eventually to working essentially being a de facto leader in the organization when they get to that third level If there isn't the growth path for them in that specific role, they often leave or they're tapped by others to move into leadership roles because there's just so much growth, especially in places like India, like the Philippines, where there's a lot of very talented, very skilled people looking to work on businesses in the West. So retention becomes an issue, not because of money per se, but because of professional growth.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think a couple of philosophies I'll fall back on there. And one of the philosophies I have, which sort of comes back to my corporate career as well, is that people don't often leave jobs, people leave people. And yes, people do leave jobs. The job doesn't suit, I've got an opportunity elsewhere. But a lot of the times they won't start looking or exploring those opportunities if the right relationship is in place. So I'll come back to that principle again. People don't leave jobs, people leave people. So if you've got the right team culture, where they love and trust you as a leader, where they know that you've got their back, where they're working with team members that they equally adore each other and and have each other's backs and and love coming to work together, the higher the likelihood is then of them staying because they won't be tempted to look elsewhere because they get into a really nice comfort zone of where they are. So one thing is make sure you create that culture where they don't actually want to go anywhere else because of who they're working with and who they're working for. The second thing around that then is to incentivize them so that you know that there is not only a monetary element to them wanting to stay, but also creating that team culture. We do have within our four, one of them is actually a team leader and the other three report to that person. So there's almost the gap between when stuff gets escalated to us, because it goes to the team leader first. So we have created a bit of a a growth path, if you like, around things. But equally, we're always changing that. So we don't stay the same. And if I can give you an example of that. So recently, we're talking about creating subject matter experts in our team on some of the tasks that we do and, and the things that we perform. So somebody's always taking the lead on something. And then after a few months, we might rotate that around so that that SME changes to other things. So we're always creating those opportunities. Again, coming back to the learning culture, victory is giving them those opportunities so that they're always feeling like they're being challenged and growing and making sure that that stickiness, the sticky factor of wanting to stay in that team is still there. But you're right, the risk always exists that, that people might leave. And that's why we've created Coming Back to Systems. People are always backing each other up on tasks. People are SMEs and they're rotating around. They're always learning. They're writing systems and processes as they're learning. So we're hoping that if anybody was to leave or if we needed to grow our business and add another resource, slotting that person in becomes very easy because everything's mapped out and done.
0: I love it. Alicia, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way?
1: The best way to get in touch with me is via email, which is alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A. I always spell that out, Victor, because no one ever gets it right. <laughs> so alicia at superchargedoffers.com. That's our marketing business or our land business, which is alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, at landscouts, one word, landscouts.com. Or they can call my team on 888 538 five, four, seven, eight. And I'll be more than happy to get my team to take a message and call people back.
0: Fantastic. Well, I love the conversation. These are issues that everyone who's trying to do business remotely has to deal with. Certainly we deal with it in our business because we're active in multiple different markets Yeah, and occasionally end up doing business even in my home market, which is a rare novelty. Anyone who's in business today has to deal with all of these issues. So I love the perspective and for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Alicia at Alicia at landscouts dot com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.